Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. John chapter 4, and I'm actually reading from the New Living Translation. The New Living Translation. And so for the past few weeks, we've looked at a couple different things. We've looked at this woman at the well, and we've mainly focused not so much on her, but we focused on Jesus' role in this narrative. And so in the first week, we learned um, about an evangelist, evangelistic approach that Jesus took in dealing with this woman. So this woman has a marred life. She's she is has a stained life. She has a tainted life because of her living situation and because of her past. And so Jesus doesn't just meet this woman and go in for the kill, but Jesus asks this woman for a favor. And in that he draws her into a dialogue that would eventually change her life. Last week we looked at this idea of water and Jesus is talking to her about living water in comparison to the stagnant water that is found in the wells that would quench her physical thirst. But Jesus was talking about a water that was living, a water that would change her life and would give her eternal life. And so she is going through this conversation with Jesus, but she's at some point struggling with what he's relayed to her because she's an unbeliever. And so we talked about last week how sometimes it is difficult to understand what God is saying because when God speaks, you have to discern it with spiritual eyes. You can't just hear God in the natural. So if God tells you uh, that you're healed, but you feel sick in your body, you will have a hard time understanding what God is saying to you. And it will be difficult for you to receive. And so oftentimes we have to pe- pray for God to peel back the layers of our hearts and our minds to receive and understand what he is trying to say to us. And so this week, Jesus takes the hard approach. After reeling her in, so be honest with you on the front end, it's going to get a little tight and a little rough this morning, but just bear with me. Bear with me. There's some stuff in the Bible we can't skip over. Some stuff in the Bible is not going to promise you that you're going to have the house and the man of your dreams. There's some stuff in the Bible that's that's a little difficult and hard to swallow because the Bible says that Jesus is a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And so some stuff he's going to say is going to offend you, but it's not to kill you. It's to make you better. It's to get you closer and to conform you into the image of his son, Jesus. And so today we're going to look at Jesus's addressing of this woman's issues. John chapter four, verses 16 through 30. He says this. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. And she says, I don't have a husband. The woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you have had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that the Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? While we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Jerusalem, 
where our ancestors worship. And Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter where you worship the father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. The father is looking for these who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? Pay attention to verse 28. This blew my mind as I was reading this. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? I want to read verse 28 one more time. The woman left her water jar. She came to the well to get water. How else was she going to get the water? She don't have her water jar. She came because she needed water. And she gets engulfed in this conversation with God. And he must have had some sort of impact on her that she left the water jar beside the well and ran back to the village to tell everyone to come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? And so she still didn't understand the totality of what he was telling telling her um, about the living water. But she received something there. And so as the dialogue progressed, her heart was slightly ajar to receive what he was saying because there were barriers there. And so Jesus, understanding that she's got a little bit of hope now, she's understanding what I'm saying. He changes the entire trajectory of the conversation that he's having with her. And then Jesus does something that no one who is a follower of Jesus can avoid. And Jesus does this. He touches on the most taboo and least talked about subject in the church today. Sin. He has a conversation with her about sin. It is something that we cannot get away from, but we have to truly embrace this idea of sin in order for us to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody fool you at any point about anything. Sin is the number one problem of mankind. And no matter how much we try to avoid it, every social ill that is happening in our, in our society, and our culture, boils down to one simple thing. Mankind is sinful. Mankind is sinful. If it's systemic, if it's social problems, if it's racial problems, if it's social economic problems, it all boils down to one thing. Sinfulness. Sinfulness. 
March, protest, post, tweet, do whatever you got to do. But at the end of the day, nothing will change until man comes to grips with the idea that he is inherently sinful since birth. And the only thing that can remedy our culture and our society and the only thing that can affect true change in the lives of people is the gospel of Jesus Christ, because that is the only solution for sin. You may be seated in the presence of God. And so Jesus addresses this woman's sinful lifestyle about living with the guy she's not married to. But he also reveals to her, yeah, you're telling the truth. You've had five husbands. Five husbands. That speaks to so many different issues. You've had five husbands and you could work out one marriage. That means something is wrong there. That is a heart issue. Something is going wrong in this woman's life. And what this tells me that she's been through five men and now has another guy. What it's telling me is that she is trying to patch the voids and the brokenness in her own life with relationships. She is trying to patch what she is missing with people. And can I tell you that if you don't fix the issues that are on the inside of you, it doesn't matter how many relationships you get into. It won't fix you. It don't matter. It does not matter how good he treats you. It does not matter how well she treats you. It does not matter how good she looks or how he looks or how successful he is or how successful she is. If you do not come to grips with your own issues and fix your own problems in your own situations and lay them at the feet of Jesus and acknowledge that you have problems, then all you will be doing for the rest of your life is repeating cycles over and over and over again. But God does not want you to be stuck in cycles. God wants you to be healed. God wants you to be whole. But the only thing you can do to remedy that is first you have to acknowledge that you're sinful. We have to come to grips, people, that we have issues. There is no way you can follow after Jesus and stay the same way you were when you initially met him. There has to be a transformation process that takes place. We cannot get so comfortable and just chalk it up. Well, that's the way I am. I've always had these issues. I've been like this since birth. This is just my issue. This is just my thing. I'm just this is just what I'm dealing with. you, You know how I am. Everybody has issues. Everybody has problems. And this is just my issue. Just because everyone has problems and everyone has issues and we all have this natural proclivity to sin and be hooked on certain things or natural proclivity to get involved with and engage and indulge in certain things does not mean that it's okay and for you to be stuck there. But the call to follow Jesus is a call to spiritual maturity and growth. You should not be the same way you were five years ago when you met Jesus. There should be something different about your life. There should be some godly fruit that you have produced in your lives. Fruit is not you having success or getting a new job or getting a house or a car. Fruit is knowing that I can walk into an old environment and not be affected by it. That means that I've truly been touched and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ when somebody that I used to deal with calls my phone and I can hit the ignore button. Somebody from my past can send me a text and say, what's up? And I don't respond to it because I'm better than that now. I've grown and so I'm not going to go backwards. I'm moving forward. God has called me to a higher place. But in order to get to that higher place, I've got to first deal with my issues. i got to deal with my issues. And so when I look at this woman... 
I see that she's willing and open to change. Notice that she didn't run away from the issue. Notice she didn't deny that she had problems. She said, sir, you must be a prophet. What she's saying is you are telling the truth about my life. How do we respond when somebody confronts us about our issues? Do we get offended? Do we get offended and do we turn our nose up at people or somebody in the house of God addresses your issue that you're dealing with? Do you get an attitude and do you stop speaking with them when somebody addresses you in a loving manner and confronts you about the things that are in your life that you need to deal with? Do you get mad with them? If you get mad with them and no one can come to you and address you about your issues, that is a problem of pride. The issue isn't them. It's you. Now, on the flip side of that, if we are to approach our brother and our sister in Christ, we must do it in a spirit of love and compassion. But if you see somebody and they're out there and they're going in the wrong direction as a believer in the house of God, in a corporate body, you have a right to pull them to the side and say, hey, I understand you got some stuff going on, but um, I don't think that that's God's best for you. I don't think you should stay in that situation like that. I think God wants more for you. But I think the problem with most of us is this. We have so many issues in our own lives. It's difficult for us to, to say something to somebody else because we're so enamored by our own issues. And so God wants us to come to grips with the things that we deal with and the things that we struggle with. There is no real transformation without confrontation about my sin. There is no real transformation without confrontation about my sin. Conviction of sin is a necessary step in receiving the gospel. And so there's this old adage in certain situations when people present to you um, the outcome of something and they'll, they'll ask you a question like this. What do you want? You want the good news first or you want the bad news? And most of the times we say we want the good. Give me the good news first. But here's the idea about the gospel in the Christian life. The bad news must always come first for the good news to make sense. The bad news must always come first in order for the good news to make sense. What are you saying? I can't accept and receive the good news about Jesus if I don't realize the bad news about where I'm headed if I don't get my life together. I can't receive the gospel if I don't think something is wrong with me. And so when you come to somebody and you try to tell them about Jesus, sometimes it will not make sense to them because they don't think they have any issues. I'm fine just the way I am. I'm a good person. I don't rob anybody. I don't steal from anybody. I've never killed anybody. And I'm an inherently good person. I'm a good person. I pay my taxes. I'm a good person. I show up and go to work. I'm a good person. But if you ask them real questions, have you ever lied before? Have you ever looked upon a woman or a man with lust that you weren't married, married to? Have you ever uh, cursed? Have you ever done something that you weren't supposed to do? Well, of course. Well, what makes you think you're a good person? We all have to realize that we all have issues and we have to confess those issues and come to grips with them and say, you know what, God, 
I am a sinner and I am in need of your grace. I need salvation. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus came to save you and I. But if you don't think that there's anything that you need saving from, then the gospel won't make sense to you. But Jesus wants us to understand that, hey, I'm here to remedy and take away everything that you have going on in your life. But you have to be willing to come to grips with it and turn it over to me. And so the woman doesn't deny it. The woman realizes that Jesus is on to something and she knows that he's a prophet. And so when we look at this story, we oftentimes look at the characters of the Bible without looking at the God of the Bible and what Jesus is doing. He's not just proving that he is a prophet, but really what he's doing is he's showing her that he is omniscient, that he is God, that he sees and knows absolutely everything. Jesus sees and knows everything. He's more than a prophet. Jesus knows everything about you and I, so much so that the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 4 and 13. He says, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Everything that we do in action and in thought is laid before the eyes of God. Our secret sins are in the light of his presence, according to Psalm 90 and 8. Everything that we do, God can see. And so I begin to think about that. He can see everything. Yeah, he can see everything, everything that you and I do, even the secret things that no one else knows about is laid open before the eyes of Jesus. And so when I looked at that, I'm like, man, when I think about that, if I'm about to do something, if I have this perspective that God is watching me, I might think twice about it. Think about this. If you're somewhere you're not supposed to be, let's just say this. Let's let's just say this. For, I'll use myself for all intents and purposes. Let's just say I'm having a bad week and I decide to go to XYZ liquor store. Now, it's not XYZ. It's actually got a got, you know, the name of it. I just don't want to I don't want to. Because we're recording this, I don't want to say the name of the, but they got alphabets in it. You know what I'm talking about. Don't play, don't, don't play me in here. Don't play X, Y, Z. I'm going to use the last instead of the first. <laughs> right. So, so, but I'm, 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 I'm Pastor John to you, but to, I'm, I'm still a believer. I'm still a believer. And so if I'm going there, I'm probably going to go to one where I don't think that you are. And um, um, I'm probably going to go in there and get what I need to get. And I'm getting out as fast as possible. I'm going to have my money already ready. And I'm going to be ready to get up out of there because I don't want you to see me because I'm concerned about what you might think. Now, think about this. If you catch me, you see me at XYZ liquor store. I'm willing to bet that half of y'all are not going to show up next Sunday. This is some of y'all going to show up anyway. That's my kind of guy. That's my that's my kind of pastor right there. He is touched with the feelings of my infirmities. That's my dude right on turning water into wine. That's my pastor. 
That's what I'm talking about. He feels me. But for me, I'm so concerned about what you might think of me. I'm willing to sneak and go do it. I don't want to do it out in the public. I need to go late at night when I don't think you're there. And I need to go to a location where I don't think any of my members. So I'm going to go way out to uh, Windermere to go to the ABC liquor store because none of you guys live out in the Windermere area. Right. I'm concerned about what you will think of me. You're laughing But that is the same approach you always take. You're concerned about other people seeing you. But what you don't realize is when I read Hebrews 4 and 13, it says nothing in all of creation is hidden from who? God. You don't need to be worried about what they are thinking. You need to be worried about what he's thinking because he's the one that can see you. And he sees everything. Everything. And so whatever it is that we do in private, whatever it is that we think we get away from, is laid naked and exposed before the eyes of God. And we never take that approach because we think we're getting away from something because we do it in private or we do it behind closed doors. But the truth of the matter is, in God's eyes, there are no closed doors because he's everywhere and he can see absolutely everything. He can see absolutely everything. And so when I come to the realization that God understands and he sees My fallen humanity, my mistakes, my issues, my sins. And this woman recognizes and acknowledges who he is. The conversation shifts. And some people believe, as I've read this, they believe she shifts the conversation and asks him, so where are we supposed to worship? You, you Jews say you worship in Jerusalem, but our fathers say that we're supposed to worship here at this mountain. And she shifts the conversations and many believe that she's shifting the conversation because she doesn't want to deal with the issue at hand. I tend to I tend to differ. I believe she's shifting the conversation towards worship, because when you acknowledge that you are sinful and you realize who God is, then you want to know how to worship God properly. I understand that I am so sinful and I've been touched and God has been touched with the feelings of my infirmities. And he understands and he knows and he sees all of my flaws and all of my faults and he still decides to love me. Then I need to know how I can give the God the best worship that he deserves. I want to worship God properly. So, Jesus, please tell me, where am I supposed to worship? Tell me the proper place and how I'm supposed to worship because I want to get it right. And what she realizes is I can't dictate how I'm supposed to worship God. He dictates how he is he is supposed to be worshipped. We don't set the standard for worship. God does. And so in our culture, in our society, we believe that we can worship God any way we want to worship God. But that can't be the truth. And so there are some people who would say, you know what, I'm just going to sit I'm going to meditate. And that is my form of worship. I don't believe in going to church and I don't believe in organized religion. I'm going to sit Indian style and I'm going to meditate. I'm going to meditate on the energy in the room and think positive thoughts. I'm just going to think positive thoughts. And that sounds good and it sounds deep and it sounds wonderful and it sounds dandy. But I don't remember God ever saying anything about sit Indian style and just thinking your own thoughts. I don't remember anything about God saying sit in and do chance and, and focus on positive things. And the sad thing is we'll hear some of this stuff in mainstream churches. Oh, if you just say positive things 
and you make positive confessions with your mouth and you just say happy things and think happy thoughts, then life will be wonderful and you'll create your own world with your words and you'll do anything and have anything that you think that you can have and your life will be wonderful and you'll be blessed. All you need to do is say happy things and think happy thoughts and say positive scriptures and everything in your life will work out and be dandy and be great. Have you ever tried that? And I can tell you unequivocally that you can think all the happy thoughts you want to think. You can think all the positive things you want to think. You can meditate all you want to meditate. The truth of the matter is doing that won't change anything. It won't change a thing. You need to come to grips. We need to come to grips that we are sinful people and we need to realize that God wants to be worshipped in the right way. And so how does he respond? He says true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such people to worship him. It's not so much about where we worship, but it's about how we worship. How we worship is important. What do you mean? Because worship is not just you coming to church. Worship is not even just about you singing a fast song and a slow song. Worship is not just about you even praying. But to truly worship God in the spirit is this. Is when I come into the house of God or in my day-to-day life, I open up my heart and I connect my heart with the heart of God. I get on God's agenda and I get off of my agenda. And so I don't just worship God with my mind, but I worship God with everything that is within me. And so I realize who God is. I realize that he is a compassionate, he's a loving, he's a graceful, he's a forgiving God. And so my heart connects with God. And so I connect my spirit with God's spirit. And so I'm at one with God. It's not about me. I leave my problems, my issues, my dilemmas, and everything that is wrong with my life. I toss it to the side and it's between me and God. God, what do you want from me? God, what do you expect from me? God, I love you. God, I thank you. God, I praise you. God, you are a good God. You are a loving God. You are a compassionate God. God, I don't deserve your grace and I don't deserve your mercy. But God, you love me anyway. God, what can I do to please you, God? How do you want me to live, God? How do you want me to obey you, God? Tell me what it is that you want me to do, God, and empower me, God, by your spirit. God, I love you, God, and I know you love me more than I love you, God. And so, Lord, I say thank you, God. Your grace is enough for me, God. Your strength is made perfect in my weakness, God. You meet every need that I have, God. Your word says that you would supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory, God. And so, Lord, I thank you, God. I bow to you, God. I submit to you, God. I yield to who you are, God. I love you more than anything, God. How can I please you, God? And that is your worship because you've connected your heart with God's heart. And you've gotten off your agenda And you got on his agenda. And when you get on God's agenda, God will take care of everything else in your life. He takes care of everything else. Your worship is not about you, but your worship is about him. Your first desire in worship is not for you to come and get something out of it for yourself, but it's for you to come and lay everything at the feet of Jesus. And we are to pursue God with our whole heart in worship. And so when we sing songs in worship, it's not about the sound, but it is about the words that I focus. God, I exalt you. We exalt you. And what we're saying is, 
God, we are lifting you up above every anything in the earth. Everything, God, we are bowing down, Lord. We are lifting you up and we are exalting you because everything is about you. Your worship is about you connecting your spirit with God's spirit. It is about your heart connecting with the heart of God. That is what worshiping God in the spirit is about. But oftentimes we come into the house of God and we worship him and we're thinking about home and we're thinking about work and we're thinking about how much money we don't have. and We're thinking about what we lack and we're thinking about the kids and we're thinking about what we have going on in our lives that are driving us crazy. We're thinking about the relationship and we're thinking about the job and everything else. And God is like, no, you don't come here for that. You come here for me. You come here for me. This is about me. This is about you giving me worship. True worship is when my heart connects with God. And so that's not just it, but you have to have a true understanding of who God is. And so when we come in here and we're worshiping God and we're thinking about our problems and we just want God to alleviate our problems, what we're really doing is we're using and we're trying to prostitute God. It's what we're doing. And you don't believe me. I want to show you something. There's a story in Exodus 32. You don't have to turn there. And this is inappropriate worship, right? This is inappropriate worship. So God is having a conversation on the mountain with Moses. He's having a conversation with Moses. The people that Moses um, are leading are down um, below the mountain. Right. And so God is talking to Moses about what he wants Moses to say to the people and how he wants Moses to lead the people. And the people are down there and they're waiting on their leader. They're waiting on Moses and the people get impatient because they're like, he hadn't said anything to us. Why isn't the leader down here? Why isn't the leader talking to us? Why isn't the leader directing us? Why is he just up there spending time with God? And so the people get impatient. And so the second guy in command, his name's Aaron. And so Aaron is hearing all this murmuring and, and, and them talking and gossiping about Moses and being disgruntled. And so instead of Aaron saying, you know what, we don't talk like that. We're going to wait on our leader and we're going to wait until he, he hears from God and then he'll come and talk to us. But instead, Aaron capitulates to what the people are talking about and the people get impatient. And so Aaron's like, OK, y'all don't like Moses. OK, cool. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to create our own form of worship. So here's what I want everybody to do. I want everybody in here. Take off all your gold earrings. I want you to take off your earrings. I want you to take off your rings. I want you to take off your gold necklaces. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take all your gold, all the children, all the wives, all the husbands. Bring all your gold. Bring all your gold to me. They bring all the gold to him he burns the gold and they erect a golden calf they erect a golden calf and so they create their own object of worship their worship is no longer on God and they begin to worship the materialism that they've created that sounds sounds so familiar and so they begin to worship something that was created off of what they were wearing and so they're worshiping what they're wearing and so they create this golden calf And God says, you know what, Moses, you need to go back down there. These people are down there worshiping a calf. And Moses is like, for real? And God's like, yes, get out of here. I'm mad. I'm upset. And so he goes back down the mountain. But before they get there, Joshua, uh, Moses' assistant, is like, I hear sound down there. And what they don't realize is this. 
Everybody's happy. They're all celebrating. Woo! They're all celebrating. And he puts the golden calf at the altar. He puts the materialism at the altar. And in verse 5, it says this. When Aaron saw this, the people are excited because they got their own God. They worship the way they want to worship. They don't have to worship how God is telling them to worship. They created their own form of worship. He built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow will be a feast to the Lord. They actually built the calf from their materialism, and they put God's name on it. They put God's name on something that they created and called it worship. And so they continue. They say they have a a celebration. We're going to have a feast. And so we're going to eat. And so they and so Moses and and Joshua on their way down. And Joshua's like, it sounds like they're at war. And Moses like, no, that don't sound like war, because if it was if it was war, it sounds like a victorious celebration, because I know what worship sounds like when it's victorious. And it's not that they've been defeated because I don't hear repentance. So what they're actually doing is they're down there just celebrating. And so they get down to the bottom of the mountain and the people are shouting, they're dancing, they're praising at the altar. But their affections are wrong. And so it is possible to create your own form of worship, put God's name on it. Praise him, dance around the altar, shout around the altar and call it worship. You see how easy that is for something to be twisted and manipulated. And this is a perfect example. And God says in the last verse, you know what? I reject this worship. I'm killing everybody in there. I'm killing everybody in there. Even though the intentions and even though it says my name on the altar, I don't receive it. Just because my name is on it don't mean I'm in it. And God kills everybody because God says, you don't get to worship me the way you want to worship me. I set the terms on the worship. You don't set the terms on the worship. And so he paints this picture for them. And he says this, you can worship God. You can worship the right God, but do it the wrong way. And God will still reject it. And so they're down there and they're worshiping. And, and it is... It is exciting. It's emotional. They're falling out. They're rolling on the floor. The praise dancing and everybody's shouting and the people are, are doing everything and they're hitting tambourines and they're having a good time. And, and God still rejects it because rejects it because worship, it's about truth and not sentiment. Worship is about truth, not sentiment. What do you mean? Worship is about worship him, worshiping him in truth, not emotionalism. Just because it's emotional doesn't mean it's proper worship. Just because you sweat doesn't mean it's proper worship. There's nothing wrong with being emotional. But if your affections aren't in the right place and you're not worshiping God the right way in spirit and in truth for who he is, then your worship is not right. So it is possible to be in the house of God worshiping with the right intentions, but doing it the wrong way because you never connected your heart and you never worshiped him for who he was. And so this woman gets this understanding. and It must have been liberating for her because last week I talked about the cisterns that they had, the cisterns that they put the water in. And the cisterns were these vessels that they used, but eventually the cisterns became worn. And Jesus is telling her about this living water. And in essence, he's saying, yeah, you can have this water, but the water that I'm trying to give you is going to last forever. And the woman, I didn't even realize this until I read this this week. This woman 
doesn't say anything about it. But Jesus, remember, he asked her for a drink. He said, can you give me a drink? And she said, no, I'm under the interpretation and I'm under the understanding that both of them are there empty handed. But as I read the story in verse 28, the woman obviously had a jar when she came to the well to get water. And it blew my mind when I realized that once she confessed and acknowledged that she was sinful and that her place with God wasn't right because of her life and she acknowledged it and then she had a proper understanding for who God was and her perspective changed. The thing that she came to the well with that she thought she needed so bad because God changed her whole life and changed her whole perspective. She left her water jar at the at the well and went and told everybody, come see a man named Jesus. And that water jar represents everything that we hold on to and think that can fill us when God is the only one that can fill us. What are you holding on to? What is your water jar this morning? What do you think actually fills you, but all it does is make you thirsty again? What, what is your water jar? What are you lugging around every day of your life thinking that it's going to give you satisfaction and it's going to quench your thirst? What's in, what's, in your, what's in your hand? Are you holding on to a jar? And I can imagine this wasn't some small jar. It's in, hot, it's in the hottest part of the day. It's 12 noon. She needed this water. She was thirsty. But once she got a feeling of Jesus, she forgot all about what she was thirsty for. And that's what God is waiting to do in our lives. Once we have an understanding of who he is and how to worship him, we won't thirst for the things that we used to thirst for. Your appetite will change. and You'll realize that he's the only one that can quench your thirst. This lady completely forgot about her water jar, but she's now filled with something different. So much so that she's wanting to take this water that she's found and tell it to everybody else. And that's what happens when you have an encounter with God. You can't keep that water to yourself. You want to share with everybody. But there are some steps that we all have to take. Can you imagine she has this big water jar and she fills it with water? And I can imagine that water jar must have got heavy at times. And that's what things do to us that we try to use to fill us that aren't intended to fill us. They become heavy and they become weighty and they weigh us down and they slow our lives down. But God says, if you put this water jar down, I'm going to fill you up with everything that you need. And you'll be just like that woman that you will forget all about it and you'll run and tell everything that you've experienced. And she recognizes him. She says, could this be the Messiah? So this Samaritan unsaved woman who had five husbands and was living with the guy she wasn't married to has a radical transformation in her life. 
And she's the first person in the Gospel of John to receive the Gospel of Jesus Christ. There is so much more to this woman than her past and her present. There was so much more to her than her issues. And this story goes to show you that if we would just focus on him, if we would focus on him, Everything that holds on to us would be remedied. But the only answer and the only solution, the only thing that can fill us and satisfy us is a relationship and fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.